I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We are a new show breaking down the anime news, views, and shows you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to bring something like this to life. Yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to pretend (laughs) that I don't right now. Hold it in. And our current faves. Luffy must have his due. (laughs) Tune in every week for the latest anime updates and possibly a few debates. I remember, what was that? (laughs) Say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. You can listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. You've tuned in to Sci-Fi Fidelity Episode 37, Timeless. Well, welcome back, everybody. Happy New Year. Uh, it's a new year and a new podcast. I hope you're as excited as we are for this new format where we're just going to be talking about one topic at a time. And this is a great one to start off with because it's kind of an ending uh, leading into a new beginning. So Timeless was one of our favorite shows, Dave, and it got canceled twice, came back twice. And this last movie that that we're going to be talking about was a nice little cap on everything. Yeah, I, I think for both of us, it exceeded our expectations exponentially. And, and look, you and I have been doing this a while now. NBC does not have the greatest reputation for supporting its shows. So after the second cancellation, once we found out that they were going to get two hours to wrap things up, I, I think most of us were pretty pleased. Right. And it definitely did a good job. I think it probably was rushed in spots, but that was kind of necessary. There was no option when you only had two hours or I guess 90 minutes to do it in. But this is a show that had two seasons before this happened. So if you haven't watched Timeless, give you a quick spoiler alert before we get going. But this did air, what, on December 20th, Dave? I believe, yes. 2018. So it did actually uh, air a little while ago. So hopefully you guys have had a chance to watch it and enjoy it a second time as part of our discussion here. Yeah. Now, Mike, first of all, not that it really matters, but it seems that DirecTV, which is you know what I have at home, on the little info on the screen, it's referring to it as episode 211. Oh, really? <laughs> and then my wife and I watched it last night on demand, and NBC On Demand calls it episode 210. <laughs> okay. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. I had to go back and look. And what they did was they aired the last two episodes together on the same night. So oh, okay. they were calling those eight and nine and whatever. Anyway, <laughs> like I said, not that it really matters. But it's titled The Miracle of Christmas Part 1 and 2. And Mike, you know, despite the fact that the writers pull out every Christmas trope in the book. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> not to mention plenty of other sci-fi tropes, dramatic TV tropes. I loved it. I mean, I loved every minute of it. If you're a big fan of the show, I mean, they really nailed it. I, I don't see how anybody that's a fan of Timeless could be disappointed with the ending. No, not at all. And it was kind of a dilemma because I reviewed Timeless during its two seasons on the air. And so I went ahead and did a review for the finale. And I was like, how am I going to do this? Because on the one hand, it did have some issues as an episode. 
But when you when you figure how much they had to wrap up, how many loose ends they had to tie up, they did a masterful job of doing it as smoothly as they possibly could. No, I, I agree. And and again, not that it matters. They were advertising it as a movie finale, but it really came across as two linked episodes, which is kind of how we'll approach it. But you mentioned the loose ends that they had to tie up. And obviously, Lucy's now non-existent sister was something that had been hanging out there for a while now. The big one, of course, Rufus's death at the end of season two and arguably the overreaching arc of stopping Rittenhouse and now Emma, who is in charge of Rittenhouse. And I just think they did a wonderful job. I know I sound like a fanboy here, but (laughs) they really did a nice job. And and I'll be honest. I mean, there were times I'm kind of like brushing a little tear away and just a lot of really emotional scenes. And, uh, you know, we've interviewed a lot of actors that seem to always do that hallmark christmas episode every year right and in a lot of ways it had a feel in that way which you know i was basically very pleased with but the basic premise alter the timeline to bring back rufus you know they've been at this time travel game long enough to know that that is a possibility but what really kicks us right away is when 2023 lucy and wyatt come back to 2018 to help their younger selves avoid the negative future into which they've ended up. And, and one of the questions that I guess we have to consider, do their future selves come back so that their lives turn out differently? Is it that they don't like the future as it exists? And perhaps it's a more altruistic reason for coming back again. It doesn't really matter. I guess I, tend to lean on the side that they just don't like the way things turned out for them. Yeah. And and I think this is interesting too, because they might've had something completely different in mind. Had there been a season three for where they were going with the Indiana Jones looking Wyatt and the uh, Laura Croft looking (laughs) Lucy, but it actually played nicely into the idea that they weren't necessarily having a great time in the future. They were kind of roughed up and dusty And they were, I think, purposely leaving this up in the air so that we could decide how to interpret it. And I interpreted it as they weren't having such a great time. They wanted to change their future specifically for the two of them, because I don't feel like future Lucy and Wyatt were necessarily together. Right. And I agree with that. All right. Now, one of the other hanging threads, and it certainly had the potential to end up as a Chekhov's gun, but but it certainly doesn't. And that's lucy's journal which has been in the possession of flynn for quite some time but future lucy gives lucy their journal and and of course that's the same one that flynn has had in his possession and the really cool thing though is that they leave the future lifeboat with the present team and right away one of the first things they notice is that there are all sorts of upgrades including an autopilot which at first it's almost as if they don't understand the significance of that. Right. Oh, anybody can pilot it. Yeah, dude. And and of course that made a lot of things in these two episodes a a lot easier to deal with. Yeah. It's, it's so cool when you think about it, because if it weren't a series finale like this, we would have called foul, 
but it's like, it's the most brilliant thing they could have done to allow things like Flynn's sacrifice and people be on, being able to go off on their own without either Gia or Rufus piloting things or Emma for that matter. So it, it's, it's a really cool way to, to involve Lucy and Wyatt from the future because of the fact that they had to get rid of them pretty quickly. They basically just showed up, brought this fancy lifeboat and left. And we presume that the timeline changed so that they never, no longer existed, but it allowed them to sort of give this hint about the future that might be not quite as good as they were hoping for and allowed for this lifeboat change that was essential to the narrative. Right. And even later on, Wyatt and Lucy, it's like, I don't like our future selves. Yeah. We don't look happy. But again, one of the first realizations we know Wyatt didn't upgrade it. We know Lucy didn't upgrade it. And we get the idea that, no, it was Gia that did it. And I don't know about you, but I love the DeLorean status references <laughs> yeah. both times. Yeah, they had a lot of good references even before Rufus showed up. But then, of course, they were in rare form once he got back because he's the king of the pop culture references. Right. Now, as happens throughout the series, something has to send the team into motion, and it's generally an alert that the mothership has time traveled. And of course, that's what happens here. And they find that they've gone to 1848 Sutter's Mill, which Lucy recognizes immediately as a couple days after the gold rush. So that's where they head. And it's almost got that firefly feel to it. You know, the the Western flavor, but there's a certain feeling of technology, obviously with, with Lucy and her crew and the, and the time travel device. But I, I really liked it. And the wanted posters of Lucy, Wyatt, Gia and Flynn were just priceless. Yeah, I really thought that it was masterful of Timeless to include a historical time period and a unsung hero of history in the form of the guy who inspired the Zorro legend and still made it feel like an episode of the week, even when they were doing a, a finale. Cause of course the second episode didn't really do that. They, they went full bore with the whole idea of it being Christmas. I think it was Christmas Eve in that storyline in North Korea, but this gold rush is basically like another, another timeless episode. And it was a cool setting and it allowed for one more little historical reference. Right. And what they did, though, to allow that Christmas connection, even when they're in 1848, is that Connor and Agent Christopher are still back at ops. And, you know, whether she's knitting or hanging Christmas decorations and lights. I love the uh, the trope with the St. Christopher medal later in the episode. <laughs> uh, but again, we know as soon as we see the wanted posters, uh, they're going to get locked up. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's the other thing, too, is that Emma, by necessity, once again, becomes more of an annoyance than a written house operative, because at this point, she's all in it for herself. She doesn't really care about the larger mission, which is consistent with the character as she was set up in the past. But, you know, she actually only set up those wanted posters as a way to just kind of get rid of them in a creative way, not because she actually needed to do something other than get a bunch of gold from that time period. Well, right, exactly. And and that's why she's in 1848. It's really a two-pronged attack. Get the gold to fund Rittenhouse and get rid of Lucy and Wyatt and, and the rest of the team, as opposed to the North Korea, as you just uh, mentioned. You know, Emma is 
become one of my favorite bad guys. Yeah, she really is. I mean, it actually works really well when you're trying to concentrate on happy endings to have kind of a toothless enemy that still has been, has had their glory days. Yeah, And did I mention I, I'm kind of partial to red hair, but anyway. <laughs> yeah. now the other thing right away, Emma realizes her timeline has changed as a result of Jessica's death. And I'll, I'll mention that in a few minutes because suddenly when she asks her team about where Jessica is, nobody even knows who she's talking about. She realizes her gold is gone, and that's what then puts into motion the plan for her to go to 1950 North Korea for, as she says, insurance, which is simply to take out the team. But while they're there in 1848, as you mentioned, the person from history that they meet, and I forget the guy's actual name, but it's the man on whom the Zorro legend is based, like Flynn which And I love the connection, and I love Flynn's exchange with him to try to change his mind. He's out to avenge his family's deaths. And because of his meeting the team, his life turns out differently, which, again, I know it's a trope. I love it anyway. Well, it's a perfect way to work in Flynn's dilemma and Flynn's sacrifice because he's able to do this for the Zorro guy, <laughs> he also can pass along the fact that vengefulness doesn't actually end up with any kind of, and, we, and we've heard this in many shows before, you know, revenge doesn't necessarily get you the happiness that you're searching for. So he's able to get his redemption in a different way. Right. Now, Wyatt's wife, Jessica, as we know from season two, is working with Rittenhouse. It becomes clear that Jessica has to be taken out of the timeline to save Rufus and Wyatt recognizes that right away. So immediately from a narrative perspective, this is a big obstacle for him, but he acknowledges right away. It's not going to be an obstacle. Well, and I think that's kind of what clues Flynn in to do what he ends up doing, because if Wyatt hadn't said this is a necessity, I don't think Flynn would have gone through with it. Uh, without Wyatt's go-ahead. Right. Not that he gave his go-ahead, but kind of implicitly did. Right. Now, obviously, this is a show about time travel, and I generally, when I get confused about what's going on time traveling-wise, I I always defer to you. So Flynn takes the lifeboat (laughs) to 2012, Yeah. and we see the Jess and Wyatt argument that, that we've heard about before, that she gets mad, stop the car, let me out. And they find her strangled. So we see Flynn approach her. You know, she fights him off. They have a nice little fight scene. Like my wife's asking, how did she learn how to fight so well? Yeah. (laughs) I just had one word, Rittenhouse. That's right. But he ends up shooting her, which then, of course, propels Rufus into the 1848 timeline. So he doesn't really change the timeline, I mean, he does change it because now Rufus, Rufus is back alive, but she still dies at the same point right. in her timeline. But in this version of time, Jessica was recruited into Rittenhouse by the man that was waiting in the field. She didn't get strangled. Right. And so this version that Flynn has changed, basically he's changed it back to the way it was originally in season one. Right. And obviously, Flynn has had to cope with a lot 
since he has come on board, mostly with trust issues. But now we know that Wyatt's going to have to accept the fact that Flynn killed his wife so that Rufus could come back from the dead. And I love that line that Wyatt says when he realizes Jessica's killer didn't ruin his life. He saved it. And he's not talking about Rufus. He's talking about himself. Yeah. I mean, that's very insightful of him, if you think about it. (laughs) Yeah. So Flynn sends the lifeboat back to 1848, meaning he gets stuck in 2012. And and of all the characters, he literally has been the one to come full circle for sure. Now, here's the thing. I don't know necessarily why he had to do that. He could have jumped back in the time machine and gone back about his business. I don't know why he had to make the sacrifice. I started to think it was because he was there long enough to be in such pain because they indicated that being in the same timeline as yourself, which was previously thought to be impossible, was possible. It's just that you risk basically killing yourself with, I don't know if it's a brain aneurysm or whatever else. So whether he just figured he was done for anyway, and that's why he sent it back empty or whether he figured this was how he was going to get his redemption and it had to be the ultimate sacrifice. I'm not sure, but I know you're about to get into the 1950 North Korea part of the, the episode. So before we do that, let's take a quick break and we'll be right back to talk about the second half of timeless. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Okay, Mike. So, you know, as we said, the 1950 North Korea storyline is really all about Emma taking the team out once and for all and and just her not having to worry about them anymore. But Connor and Christopher, and, and again, this is something that Timeless has done over and over, which is fine. Some member is back at ops looking at the Internet and sees a story that now has meaning that perhaps it didn't before. But they see a story in a photo about four dead Americans and realize they need to go to 1950 to prevent their deaths because it's the four members of our team. So my question, do they have a time machine? Am I missing one? Uh, what do you mean? <laughs> well, well, how do Connor and Christopher get to 1950? Oh, no, that's the uh, mothership. They captured it from Emma, thanks to Lucy's father. And that's how they got back there um, okay. with their own yeah. pilot, Emma. Okay, that's that's what I thought. So they encounter a Korean woman who we we when we see how pregnant she is, we know it's the day before Christmas. Mike, I I think we know where we're going to end up here. 
Yeah. And, and they did intimate that the historical story around this very Dunkirk like episode of the Korean war is that there were a bunch of people that were rescued by this American ship that was only supposed to take a very small contingent. They took tons of people on board and there were enough people that there were actually some births and they called those births, the miracle of Christmas, which gives the episode its title. And I guess this woman is one of those people. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it really is an emotional scene. And, and, you know, this aspect of the story, I think is a lot more emotional and perhaps it's because of the Christmas connection. But once she starts to go into labor, they get the military doctor, but as they're getting back to where Wyatt and the pregnant Korean woman are, they see a big explosion, which Lucy assumes hit the spot that they'd been uh, inhabiting. Of course, that's not what happens at all. Wyatt walks around the corner holding the baby, and it's like, again, I mean, yes, they're <laughs> manipulating our emotions. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. I liked it. Anyway. No, yeah, it was perfect. And I think the action sequences were really necessary for this one because there wasn't really a historical figure that we wanted to hone in on unless you count the admiral that i guess was a key figure in this one but they didn't really concentrate on him very much they just wanted to tell this story because it allowed for moments like this i mean even when they were in the church they, you know they knew that going back for this woman was a big risk and trying to get her to the ship when they really needed to just get back to their lifeboat and go back home it allowed for them to have those moments between Rufus and Gia and between Lucy and Wyatt, even as they're, you know, on the brink of perhaps being discovered and killed so that those emotional moments have more intensity. Well, yeah. And they do throw out a lot of these little thematic ideas. And one that Lucy says later on is that everybody's important to somebody because it seems very often they're so fixated on altering the past relative to some famous historical figure i think they they really see that there's a lot more to it lucy especially and and certainly i think wyatt and the others come to realize it afterwards they came to that realization during season two to a certain extent too where they really wanted it to be more about saving people like what's the point of having the time machine if you can't make a good difference it's true absolutely and, and that i love this you know when they're in the church surrounded by communists and Lucy tells Wyatt she's loved him since the Alamo. No matter what happens, the past is a past, which obviously she's got to get beyond the fact that, as she says, he chose her over me, even though intellectually she understands why Wyatt chose Jessica when he did. This is one of those things that got sped up quite a bit because they only had two hours. If they had had a season three, I think this would have been drawn out a little bit more. Some might say that Lucy came to this realization a little bit too quickly, that she should have sort of held it against him for a little bit longer. But I think they had a nice little arc of her at least discussing it, saying it out loud, saying her thought process and admitting that she had loved him from the very start. And obviously the way that Abigail Spencer delivers these lines is just as poignant as all get out. Well, yeah, I loved it as it's set against Rufus and Gia and that Rufus is afraid that she won't feel the same way about him because of her three-year experience in 1880s Chinatown, as he oh, says. I loved that. I loved yeah. that. Yeah. And, you know, that he's worried that she's not the same woman he fell in love with. And, and you know, they're both. And yet when they finally have time to talk about it, 
it's like you're the same person. Well, but here's the thing. In Rufus's version of events, because remember, he doesn't remember even dying. Right. He never went to Chinatown. And so his version of Gia also never went to Chinatown. The Gia he remembers prior to the mission to the uh, gold rush. So I think he's had some adjustment to do off stage that we never were really privy to. Right. And I, I think it was really interesting, not only for, from Gia's standpoint of her experience, but the fact that they had to kind of gloss over her visions. They didn't have time to really deal with her visions. They just gave it a very brief mention and uh, moved on. So I like that they s- concentrated on her scars. Right. Now, you know, you mentioned speeding up the narrative. And of course, they had to. Uh, Lucy's father gets out of jail. He's the one that sets Emma up. And when Connor and Agent Christopher show up with the mothership and Emma, I love Emma's reaction. What? No hug? <laughs> yeah. What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? They had so many different little Christmas and religious uh, phrases. And Emma had some of the worst ones, the real stinkers, like uh, Santa's got one more chimney to shimmy down or something like that. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, my God. Right. But the idea of bringing back Lucy's sister is brought up by Emma. And, of course, at this point, we don't know whether Emma really knows how to do it. Of course, we suspect that she has no clue and she's just trying to buy yeah. time to make an escape. <laughs> But Lucy says that she's not willing to jeopardize the others simply to get her sister back. I love it. I I, I mean, I think that was the right choice, not only for Lucy, but for the show. It was something that we had already moved past. We didn't think that we were ever going to get Amy back. So it's, it's one thing to get Rufus back. He's a main character. But to have Lucy come to this realization made a whole lot of sense. We didn't need every single thing to be a happy ending. And so this was a tough choice, but one that felt right. Yeah. Now, yeah, if we were talking about a short story and its structure and we'd bring up Freitag's pyramid and this had a <laughs> yeah. pretty darn long resolution phase, which is fine. Yeah. <laughs> Agent Christopher is giving everybody a present of those scarves. They're celebrating Christmas. They stopped Rittenhouse. Everybody's free to get on with their lives. And of course, as Rufus says, well, what do I put on here? Time traveler? Uh, you know, why it's been assigned to Agent Christopher. The mothership is destroyed, but they're keeping the lifeboat. And, and again, I love how they handle that because I forget who it says it. I think it's Connor. If we invented it, eventually somebody else will. And if they're misusing it, how are we going to stop them? Right. It, it makes sense. I mean, they are kind of taking a very altruistic view of their own motives, but you know, they know that they're going to do it right. If as long as they keep it secret, they know that they're the team to combat it. Should it become necessary? Yep. So we jump ahead to 2023 and Mike, you know, I started thinking like, ah, 2023. And then, wait a minute, that's only four years, (laughs) (laughs) but Lucy's teaching at a California college. She and Wyatt have two daughters flynn and amy (laughs) of course you know even now that chokes me up a little bit thinking about that gia and rufus entrepreneur philanthropist respectively and they've got their little science thingy going on there (laughs) kids i don't know what you call that but there's a sleepover at the base for one last trip so they're going to brazil 2014 so is the idea that they have to do this so that flynn gets the journal is that right 
They're closing the circle. <laughs> okay. And I, I do like the fact, though, in addition to closing the circle, is that she tells him, you're a hero. I promise. Because you go back to when the series started, and he was the quintessential bad guy. He was- yeah, that probably kept him going, knowing that she believed that, despite all their you know inimical encounters that they had in season one. Yep. And then we get that wonderful montage of the team set against the song time after time. Fortunately, not done by Cindy Lauper. I don't know who did it, but it, <laughs> it was, was a great, great remake. Yeah. It was a uh, great shot of the original three in the lifeboat doorway. Yeah. And then that final shot, Michael. Oh, my God. <laughs> the young girl. And she was at Rufus's educational oh, project. I, oh. I believe so. I, I, okay. I hope I'm not wrong, but. And we see that she's clearly beginning to design what we know is going to be a time machine. Right. And the fact that she's young, she's a woman, (laughs) you know, I just think that was a nice little touch to go against expectations. And, you know, she doesn't look like the type that would become obsessed and start trying to change things. But, you know, you just never know once that thing, once that genie is out of the bottle. But, uh, (laughs) yeah, I, I, Got to say, I was a little surprised you only gave it four stars in your review. <laughs> that I, was only because of the cheesy Christmas tropes and the speeding up of of some storylines, but they didn't have a choice. I think four was a fair, okay. fair point value. <laughs> but I, I got to believe fans of Timeless uh, really had their spirits buoyed. And, you know, you never, never say never when we've got streaming services like Netflix <laughs> out there. So maybe Timeless will resurrect itself. Who knows? But uh, a really fun finale and we'll see what happens. So, well, what do we got next, Michael? Well, coming up in a week, we have something we've been looking forward to for a while. We recorded an interview with Trisha Helfer, who, of course, is known to sci-fi fans everywhere as Caprica 6 from Battlestar Galactica. She's got a new rewatch podcast that she's doing, watching one episode at a time, just like a fan, and podcasting it week to week and bringing on some special guests. Can't wait to uh, share this with you guys in a week. Uh, she's going to tell us all about the podcast that you can enjoy right now, wherever you get your podcasts. And also, got a little... Stuff in there about uh, Lucifer, since Dave watches that show as well. (laughs) So tune in uh, in a week for that. But that's going to be it for this episode of Sci-Fi Fidelity. Keep the discussion going on social media. You can follow Den of Geek on Twitter and Facebook at Den of Geek US. And we are at Sci-Fi Fidelity. And in the meantime, we'd love it if you could rate and review this podcast wherever you access it. Be sure to send us your suggestions for future topics on social media or in an email to scififidelity at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. Music.